Hi, I'm Haley. And I'm Sydney. And this week's episode, Under Pressure on Surface Supply Diving, is to, to dive, dive for. How's it going? It's going. How have you been? Oh, doing well, doing well. It is uh, raining here. The cyclone has begun. Hopefully I don't lose Wi-Fi or anything too crazy in the next hour and a half. But yeah, working from home for the rest of the week. <laughs> nice. Is is uh, Are you alone in the house or do you get company of of poor Alec landlocked as well? (laughs) Yes, I get company because, alas, he cannot perform his dive jobs with the hurricane. Classic. Classic marine (laughs) field science, man. (laughs) How about you? What have you been up to? Kind of just more of the same. Just... uh, Getting ready to apply for a conference, which is really exciting. Getting to go share my science with people. Um, and yeah, just, just you know, not a whole lot new, just a lot of the same, but all good, exciting things. Nice. I am also applying to a conference right now. But nice. I keep getting... um. I keep getting emails for BEMS back in the States, and I'm like, ah. That would be the one that I'm applying to, so if anyone wants to go hang out with me at the Benthic Ecology meeting this year, it's in Charleston, South Carolina, and you should come hang out with me, you should hit me up, because I'm going to be there, so come see me, say hi, tell me you want to be on a podcast. (laughs) We can do more hotel room podcasts like we did last year. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotta... Uh, uh try and find people that are going to the Australian Coral Reef Conference. So Ooh, that sounds really fancy. Uh, yeah. So if anyone's uh gonna be participating in conference season, we will find you. Yes. Yes, we will. Come tell us cool things about what you study. <laughs> Speaking of cool things about what people study. I have a marine science news piece for us. Cool. Is it a happy one or a depressing one? I went for happy this week because I feel like we have had a series of sad uh, news and I don't love it. So I went for something, I don't know that it's happy, it's just kind of quirky and exciting. So this one, (laughs) there's an, an article entitled New medicines may lie under the sea. This device sniffs them out. Um, So, of course, yeah, of course, my initial response was like, this is some sensationalized article that doesn't understand the science or is like kind of loosely representing the science. Um, But as I started reading about it, uh, it seems like this project basically came from a study team at the Mediterranean Institute of Marine and Continental Biodiversity and Ecology. Um, very long <laughs> acronym, but basically they developed this proof of concept device that, quote, sniffs seawater. So essentially what this instrument does is it can capture a subsample of seawater, uh, concentrate the molecules, and also enrich the dissolved compounds. I'm not exactly sure what that means chemically because I haven't taken chemistry in like six years, but (laughs) basically it's aiming to capture some of these molecules that are created and produced by sponges and other marine organisms in really extreme environments without having to harm the environment or remove the organism from their environment. Uh, So this allows us to kind of take a look at what molecules might be produced in these ecosystems without challenging or harming the ecosystem, but also without having to create an elaborate ex situ, like, aquarium or something for them to hold these organisms in. 
Um, so this logger is called the in situ marine molecule logger or I smell. And <laughs> it, it is <laughs> the I smell. Um, but yeah, the journal or the, the findings have been published in the journal ACS Central Science, which I believe stands for the American Chemical Society's Central Science Journal. Um, and they're looking at trying to find metabolites that may provide future medical advancements or things like that. So yeah, we have an instrument that's sniffing out new medications in the Mediterranean, apparently. The eye smell. The eye smell. <laughs> After I work out, I also smell. <laughs> I love it. That's a cool one. Yeah, I thought so. I thought it was fun. You know, a little change of pace from doom and gloom. Yeah. Some Ooh. ocean innovation. Innovation. We love it. Well, speaking of cool, interesting instruments under the water, uh, this week's special guest has a lot of experience using cool instruments that many of us will never get to use underwater. Uh, so with that, we will let our super special guest introduce themselves. Okay, so I go by Lenny, and I go by her, she, <laughs> I believe it is, yep. And I am in Alberta, Canada, and... Uh, That's so cool. <laughs> there's so much to say. I do, I am a unrestricted surface supply commercial diver um so i can go to 170 feet and i can do scuba diving as well but i do mostly surface supply and it's it, it is underwater construction is what i do most of cool that's so crazy we are you don't know how long we've been waiting to try and get somebody on the <laughs> podcast who kind of is in this realm uh we have a lot of biologists who come on and things like that because that's the, the field that we're in, so the field that we're most well connected in. So when when we actually saw your uh, name pop up, there was a, a girls that scuba post that a bunch of people were posting their awesome careers in, and I saw you commented, and I was like, wow, I like it, I feel like the opportunity just fell in my lap. So I texted Sydney, and I was like, oh my gosh, look at this, and and I reached out to you. So we're so excited to have you. Um, on the podcast episode. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited too. It's always it's always yeah. fun to talk about diving for sure. Uh, I haven't done it very long, to be honest. I um I just started about two three years ago now. So okay, wow. It's uh that's amazing. <laughs> it's crazy. We'll definitely get into how you progressed from start two or three years ago to your job now later in the interview. Um. So yeah, that's that's so exciting, and this is our first uh, episode from Canada. Someone from yeah. a diver from Canada. Yeah. Um, so the first kind of question we like to ask before we hear about your your journey into your career um, is what got you started coming to the water? What drew you to the water? Made you fall in love with it? Oh, what drew me to the water? To be honest, I actually don't like swimming. I really, I don't like have water having water on my face. I'm not, I'm not that big into it. Uh, I never was as a kid at all. This is actually just really all by happenstance of, um, of just one day. And it's honestly, it all goes into my big story of how I progressed into my field uh, that I'm in right now um, is where it goes. Yeah. Well, go ahead. You can jump into okay, it if you're sure. ready. Sure. Yeah. Um. So I am an electrician by trade, actually. Um. I did that for. Huh. I, I've been an electrician for 13 years now. I had, I've had six kids throughout it. There was a point that I did end up hurting my shoulder, and mm. I ended up not getting into onto a company that I wanted to be with because of that, and uh, I got really sad, obviously. And I was watching. TV. I was watching this TV show Bones, and one of the episodes, Doctor Hodgins does a surface supply dive for the treasure, and it wasn't the treasure. I looked at what he put on, and I said, "That is what I want to do." And I looked it up online, furiously, like 
I really researched it and uh, I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. Two weeks later, I had my dive medical. A month later, I had my open water. And five months later, I was in school. I was actually supposed to leave for school uh, a month later, but that I couldn't find I couldn't find um, accommodations to where I was going. And so I had to wait. I sadly had to wait. I was so sad. Mm. <laughs> but then I got out there and um, I, it was just everything I'd ever imagined it would be. It was, I've never dove before this. So. Wow. Wow. Oh my so gosh. did you, did you start with surface supply diving or did you start with like self-contained scuba diving? When getting your surface supply, you have to go get your commercial scuba license as well. It's all intertwined into the academics, like the curriculum for the surface supply. So I am an occupational scuba diver as well as a surface supply diver. Okay, cool. So what does the, um, I guess, what does the training look like for that? So you had to go to school for this training? Yes, there's uh, three or four schools in Canada that do it. There's one in Ontario, there's one in Kelowna, and then there, which is BC, and then there's one in Campbell River, BC. And those, those three are the ones that produce the certificate that you can use globally. There's a couple other oh, okay. schools that do it, but they, they don't give you the certificate to do it globally. So, uh, Kelowna is only supposed to be like a 10 hour drive. That's originally where I was supposed to go. But, uh, like I said, that didn't work out. So I ended up in Campbell river on the Island there on Victoria Island. Yes. So the training process, <laughs> first thing you have to do is you have to buy all your gear. That's, um, the biggest, the biggest, the biggest step in it is buying all the gear. And the school usually helps you with that. They're really good with that. Um, they give you a list. And then you can purchase it all through them or you can go and purchase your own or have your own or whatever. But as long as it's, uh, it's, as long as it's what they require you to have, that's, that's what they've got. Um, you get there and with my school, you, you got there and you started off specifically with scuba diving and they made sure you could do all the, the stuff that you have to do with your open water and being able to scuba dive. And they start you they take you to some amazing places around the island to just get a feel for it and really just get into it. Because some of the guys that show up don't take their open water until the week before they start the course as well. So you have that option as well. It was, it was absolutely amazing training because obviously it's the ocean. So I got ocean training and it was they made it really fun. They made it very, they were very, this is the way the industry is. They were very good with showing me how the industry was. They were very good with making sure that I got all my dives in correct. And they were, <laughs> it was, it was just a really, like the training was a lot because they packed it into five months. So we were constantly out on the boats, 8 a.m. to like, 4 p.m. or in the classroom all day long just going away at the theory um they do also expect you to have a bunch of theory done before you even show up so you have to know wow. a good chunk of it before you even come it's it's uh yeah you and you cannot take the training without having your patty open water like that's like a prerequisite okay. just like if you were to become a pilot you have to have your recreational that's so that's crazy so cool yeah Okay, so you started your training in Victoria. You went around the island. You saw all these different things. What, well, what was the diving like? I guess maybe we should. I should take a step back and ask, like, what is it even like to dive surface supplied? Period. But then also, like, what was it like diving in Victoria? That sounds cold and beautiful, but also like extra extra cold. So, what what is all of that like? That you must have crazy equipment to be able to do all that. Okay, so for so I'll, for the first question, what's it like diving surface supply? It's sorry, the only word that comes up in my head is amazing. So basically, <laughs> it's the big heavy yellow helmet that you see with the dry suit, mm -hmm. and you've got a neck dam that's that's clipping you into the helmet. Um, you've got your bailout, you've got your weights on. It can range up to 
a hundred pounds that you're putting on initially. Um, and then sometimes you're wearing fins and sometimes you're not. <laughs> Most of the time you're not, you're walking. I really enjoy the walking on the bottom. That's my thing. Um, so uh, then obviously there's a, a, they call it an umbilical, which is the, mm -hmm. you got your communications, you got your um, pneumo and you've got your air supply wrapped into a cord and it's all wrapped, wrapped up all the way back to the panel where they have all the gauges and all the valves and all that that's attached to the air source. And usually it's massive K bottles because we have to be portable. Um, or it, you can actually use a compressor that supplies the air unlimited, right? And so you get, you just gear that all on and you turn it all on and do all your checks. And the night, the, the difference between Canada and most places that um, I was told that I've noticed as well is that in Canada, when you're taught to be a surface supply diver, your tender dresses you. So you'll put all, you'll, you'll put the pack on, but they'll buckle you up. They'll make sure everything is proper. They'll clean everything. They'll make, get it all set up specifically for the diver. But in other places, it, you have to do it all yourself as the diver, mm. which is, that's the difference. So I kind of like Canada that way. Cause it's nice to get dressed. It's, like, it's nice to be dressed. Like someone do it for you. Cause it is a, it is a lot to move your arms around at all. And usually when you're shorter too, trying to get your, uh, your neck down into the helmet is, is a lot harder when you got short arms. Yeah. So, um, and then you get in and you just, you just sink to the bottom and it's that feeling of sinking is terrifying and amazing all at once. It's like, you're not floating, you're not trying to be buoyant or anything. You just, you get down to the bottom and you see where you're at. <laughs> so, man. So this you, is so crazy. Sorry, Sydney, I keep like running, like I keep just asking more and more questions. So if you have questions, you can jump in. Um, but I was going to ask, so you basically, like when you get off the boat, do you, you just like wave goodbye to your tender at the surface and then just like, what do you do? Do you giant stride in? What do you do to get in? And then you just like sink for 170 feet. How do you stay upright? So I have so many questions. <laughs> there is so many ways to jump in. Yeah. You can do the dry and stride. You can just jump in. You can, you can throw yourself in. You, a lot of the time we take a ladder, <laughs> we take a ladder oh, down. Okay. Um, if you do have to kind of jump down your umbilical is strapped to your side because the harness that you're mm -hmm. wearing with your weights is a safety harness to haul you out if needed. So it's got all the devices on it to hook up and all that. And then your umbilicals hooked to your side and in your communication cable is a strength cable that is strong enough to pull you, to lift you if needed. So basically you hold on to your umbilical cause it's on your side and uh, you just, they slowly lower you or you just, you keep going and you try and balance yourself out. It's, it's what you're trained to do. Right. And, um, obviously equalizing as you go down and equalizing your dry suit, inflating yourself as you go to, you get to where you need to be. Um, in Alberta here, there's not much deeper than maybe 50 feet when we're working. So a lot of the times we don't have to go into decompression. Um, a lot of things are at 30 feet in rivers kind of thing. So like it's, it's very, um, like it's just, it's, you just jump in and here in Alberta, it's just to jump in and you're on the bottom qu pretty quick. <laughs> so that's fine. When I was, when I was working on the Island, I did work at the fish farms and I think the deepest I got to was 120, 121 feet. And, um, you had to be pretty quick cause you got, you had to get down there and do your stuff within like a couple minutes. And then you had to get back out. Like you had to slowly make your way back out. Um, I think that's the farthest down that I have worked at. You're I'm trained to go down to 170 and then do decompression and use the decompression chamber and all of that such. I can do all of that. I was trained to, um, and 
but it's very rare in Canada that you'll actually have to use the decompression chamber because there's there's not much up here that we do at that depth inland. Gotcha. Um, I have I have many questions. This might be a a dumb question, but I'm assuming okay. So you you don't have a BCD. You have your your dry suit that has air in it, and then also you're connected to the surface. Is that how you get up to the surface when you're done? They pull you up? Okay. So you do have a bailout as well, <laughs> right? You have your bailout for backup. Um, and yeah, the the thing is, is you, and, and then obviously your dry suit's hooked up to the helmet as well. So you can, you fill it with the air like that way. Yeah. And yeah, they either, either you hold onto your billicle and they pull you out or you walk back to the ladder, wherever the boat is and you walk, pull yourself out. Like that's ah, okay. that's how it goes. Yeah. It's, it's definitely oh harder to get out of the water. Just like scuba. You're like, it's like the weight of the world is on your shoulders coming out of that for sure. Especially after working hard, after putting together pipes and and bolts and and all that such and like pulling around 600 pound half blocks mega blocks and such it's we're using power tools and yeah i can use all sorts of tools i've been trained on a chainsaw underwater uh jackhammer actually i've only ever used a jackhammer underwater i've never used it on surface <laughs> um i've done uh it's like an impact with a socket underwater that was really crazy. Obviously, the what is that called? Power washer underwater. What else have I done? The hammer. I've done a handsaw and a hammer underwater. I built a we built a birdhouse during training underwater. It was it was really it was really really good experience to cut wood underwater. That was amazing. Um, trying to think what else we did okay okay more questions on this was the wood pre-soaked so it wasn't floating to the top or did you just have to contend with buoyant wood also had to contend with the buoyant wood we had to keep our wood down while we sawed our pieces so it was uh and yes and the, the funny thing was a lot of the times it would it, you'd be cutting and then it would break off and it you'd have to catch it before it went to the surface you have to catch your piece so it was just, uh, it was, it was fun. It was fun. Um, but thankfully on the island, you have very, very clear visibility. It's, well, I shouldn't say it's very, very clear, but it's, it's it, so much clearer than Alberta. In Alberta, you will be very lucky if you can see your hand in front of your face, like two inches in front of your face. We, in Alberta, there is, you're always, you're always going in blind. So you have to be very mentally visual with with what you need to do when you're underwater here in Alberta. Um, we do blackout drills during training where they tape off the mask. So you are going down basically blind. And um, that was that was that was a first and that was a pretty cool to be honest. It's cool to go down blind because the supervisor, there we go, the supervisor up top is overseeing everything and usually there's a camera on your helmet as well that they can see what you're doing and when you were blacked out training they can they can explain things to you which was nice um, but it definitely doesn't train you for when they can't see either and you have to feel around and do everything by feel wow i have very limited experiences personally that i can draw on to relate to any of this um but First of all, on the whole, like, surface supply diving, not that I have done, like, actual surface supply diving, but I, I dove an aquarium for a little while. I maintained an aquarium and as a volunteer, and we didn't, we weren't on scuba. We had, like, a, a tank up top with a long line that ran down to us, and we, like, had basically it connected to an umbilical, and we, like, the same kind of thing, and we were negatively buoyant, so we'd just, like, weigh ourselves down. The amount of work it takes to stay in one place and, like, exert any kind of force on anything is unbelievable. Like, all of college, I think all I did was just build abs by holding onto a rock and then, like, having to hold myself against the rock while scrubbing it, pushing the opposite way, you know, like, 
it it is a lot of work it is not for the faint-hearted so i can only imagine trying to hammer something underwater with power tools even oh goodness yeah it's (laughs) you do learn to contort your body in certain ways to hold yourself down uh to make things happen for sure for sure yes um, you kind of touched on some of this, but I wanted to know what kind of jobs can you do underwater as a surface supply diver? I can do anything and everything. So <laughs> pipe fitting, um, construction actually just, just last, last month. Yeah, it was last month. I, I put in scaffold underwater. Um, I've only ever done it underwater. I've never done it on the surface as well. That as well. Uh, we do a lot of intakes, there's constructions, there's inspections, there is a lot of inspections. Um, there's a lot of... What kind of of inspections? Oh, so what kind of inspections? Just when a lot of the, like the, the plants and the stations around here, there's pumps that need, Mm. you need to go down and just make sure they work They're They're not clogged and stuff. And a lot of just the water stations and stuff. Um, they do, there is potable water cleaning as well here in Alberta. So a lot of the companies go in and they clean out the water reservoirs so they don't have to use as much, you know, chemicals to treat the, to treat the water, which is good. That's good. <laughs> um, what else? I can do welding. I've done welding. I can do burning. Like I said, pressure washing, sawing. That's crazy. How do how do you move a six a six hundred pound block? How do you do that? Uh a lot of the times you can actually do it by hand. Because <laughs> it's just it's when you learn how to, you know, use buoyancy to your factor, you can actually do it by yourself. But usually we we would use a lift bag. So we just have the bag where you put air in it and you just you gotta you gotta we get trained to properly use a lift bag. They're they're pretty um risky to use. So they tend they try not to use them as much as possible but when you've got to you've got to be trained and you've got to be pretty competent with uh with the lift bag yeah i always joke when teaching students uh how to use a lift bag granted probably not to the scale that you were you were using a lift bag uh but i always i always joke that it's the weekend for lift bag rodeo we're all gonna you know chase it up and down and up and down and up and down a thousand times before they figure out how to do it the right way so yeah yep yeah it can be tricky Uh so i have more off script questions for you for sure (laughs) so you had mentioned that um that like a lot of times obviously it's like really low visibility in alberta and also you said that you do a lot of work in rivers so as someone who dives often in a place that has really high current, and I, I do drift diving, right, where I, I say goodbye to my boat and then they follow me hopefully on the top, um, what is it like surface supply diving in high current? Like, how do you do that in a river where the boat has to obviously stay with you or the whatever it is that you're working off of has to stay with you within a certain amount of feet? Um like, how does that even work? Do you, and you're probably staying stationary because you're working on a single thing. So like, how do you, how does that, what does that look like? That looks like, <clears throat> this is where they, you take a few different anchors, you place them in where you want them upstream, and then you just tie the boat back to where you need to be. And then, mm-hmm. or just, just before it, and then the diver drops in and you have, yeah, you float down <clears throat> and you have really work hard at making sure you get to the spot you need to be at. And, uh, I've, I've, I've done it before where, and the thing with Alberta is the current in our rivers changes during the season. So in the winter, when there's lots of ice on there, it's a lot faster current. And so I've actually did dive last January. It was minus 40 and we did a job and the ice was 36 inches thick and we cut a hole. It was my first ever ice dive. It was black water underneath because obviously no sun can get down there with all the ice. And it was our fastest river. <laughs> we had we had earlier in the in the like in the year had gone and tried to find this intake. It was it was 
it took quite a while. It took a couple of days because of how bad the current was. We kept getting in and then missing it because it would just pull our divers down, down river. And the nice thing is with a river is that it doesn't, you don't go down the river and then you just keep going. It, it pushes you onto the riverbank, right? Like you just slowly swoop into the riverbank. Um, it is very difficult to work with current. I'd have to say that would, so far that has been very challenging. Not the scariest, but challenging part of being a commercial diver in, in my eyes is you is, yeah. is getting used to and, and working in the current. Um, Cause yeah. I like how you just said it isn't the scariest, but you just described like my actual nightmare. <laughs> like cut a hole in this ice and then jump into a black ripping current where you can't see where you are and you have no fins to kick upstream and you hope that the thing you're connected to stays connected to you. Like, oh man, that that takes some guts. <laughs> that takes a lot of guts. It's uh yeah, it's I guess I guess I, I enjoy that <laughs> a bit. Just a bit, maybe. Um yeah. I think the the scary part about jumping into ice water is when you your equipment freezing because the stuff is not made yeah. for minus forty. So you either have the the ability of it freezing closed and you have to bail to put your bail on and they have to rip you out <laughs> or that freezes open and it just blows air in your face like so hard. And uh, that actually is what happened to me. I was doing my measurements. I was trying to hold myself in there and the current, because the current's so strong, it was, it froze, it froze my regulator open. And I was just sitting there like, it's hard to breathe. That's like driving, you know, when you're driving and the wind's hitting your face and you can't breathe. That's, it was, it was 10 times as harder from that. It was, and I was like, okay, pull me out. And I just get whipped out. Like you don't, you don't have really have, you don't really have control of yourself when they whip you out of the water. They just, they whip you out and they drag you up and, and then they have to pull everything off. And, uh, it's, uh. Yeah, it's it, it's trained. It's all trained. I know it sounds so just so like rip and go, but you, the, we're all trained in that specific instant how to do those things. There's mm -hmm. a lot of training behind the safety, and there's every time before you go in, you go over all the safety, you go over all your training, you write it all down, you practice your bailouts before you get in. There's all these steps that go into your safety before you even get into the water. Like it's it's a lot. Yeah, this is so cool. I just love all the problem solving that comes with diving. Like scientific diving has a certain level of it, but this seems like an even bigger level of problem solving. And I love it. My brain is just like working like, okay, how do you do this? How would you deal with this if this popped up and this and this? I'm sure Haley's doing the same thing right now. Yeah, yeah. I am uh, a weirdly a lover of like safety in diving i not only love diving but i think it's really important to think about all the things that could go wrong and like plan for contingencies because if you fail to plan you plan to fail um so yeah no i i am also just going a thousand miles an hour in my head thinking about all these different cool things first first thing that popped into my head is um thinking about like your your gear freezing open if you are in like a helmet that's sealed with a neck dam to a dry suit if that freezes open is it like over inflating you is there some sort of a method to like like an overpressurization valve or something obviously the dry suit has has a, a purge valve but i mean that only purges so fast when you've got a free-flowing regulator in your face so the helmet is not it's yeah it's not one airspace so you're you have your suit and then you roll your neck in right correct and then you put the neck dam over top of that and it's it's just another piece mm. of neoprene with a metal ring that attaches to the helmet and so you're the helmet's just pressurized and pushing the water out basically is all it's doing so it's like <laughs> i don't want to sound unscientific here but it's like taking a bucket putting it upside down there's still air in it and that's exactly what yeah. this helmet is it's just it's it's the neoprene is against your neck and then it's attached to the helmet 
is basically all it is. Because it's another, it's actually another safety thing too. Because if for some reason the hat fails, your bailout fails, you tell, you talk to Surface, you say, turn on my pneumo. You guys know what a pneumo is, correct? Okay, so a no. pneumo, it's a big long word. I only know it as pneumo. And it's just an empty air, it's just an empty cord where they blow air down it. And then the pressure of the water pushing the air back up tells the supervisor at the panel what depth you're at. And so, so cool. with being able to push air down that, you can always take your pneumo and shove it up into your air, it, up into your neck dam and like topside can put on air and you have air filtered through there as well. So there's, that's just, that's like your, that's like ultimate. That is not ever, tr you're not trained to do that in any way. But if for some reason they do state that for some reason, if something does go wrong in every sense way possible, that is another source of air that can be sent down to you. Hmm. Man, this is, the more this you is know. cool. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, now I feel like I need to go. So, someone once told me they were gonna, it was an instructor that I was working with, and she was like, Yeah, like I've finally gotten, I don't know if she paid for a trip or what, but somehow she was on the docket to go bell diving, like similar kind of ish to this. And I personally, I was like, That once again kind of sounds like my nightmare, like not something I, but. It's very fascinating, and it really makes me, like, it, it makes me think. I don't know that it's something that I'd actually want to experience, because I think that I would be a lot more nervous in real life than I am sitting here in the comfort of my of my living room. Uh, but it is really fascinating, and it does, like, it, it sounds like a big puzzle that I'd love to just, like, learn more about, you know? Yeah, it's actually, when you say, when you say it makes you nervous, because I know what you're talking about with the bell, it's, it's... It used to be called a bell because it had, it was like that upside down bucket that had the section of air for older divers that didn't have the bailout system. Now they call it the cage and you just get into, it's like an elevator. You get into it and this is where it takes you really deep. Um, we had to use this to get down to the 170 and, but by the time you hit 120, you get pretty narked. <laughs> And then you're pretty calm and then you get out of there and you get your bearing and then you walk down into, and then you just get more narked and more narked and you just, you have this amazing sense of calm. You're never nervous. I don't, I've never met anybody who's been like nervous, gone under narc, gotten narked and then like had a bad experience. So it's, hmm. when you say, oh, I'd be really nervous. I think, I think you would absolutely love it because it would just, it would, it's that sense of calm is, is amazing. Wow. That's hmm. really cool. I didn't think about that. Yeah, me neither. So I guess that begs my next question. Are you guys obviously diving on air, right? Like you're not, you're definitely not diving on nitrox, right? But would, are y'all diving on like Trimix or like weird blends or? Uh, no, we usually, no, we don't. Um, we are certified oh, to do a Trimex. We are certified to do the nitrox oh, okay. and all that. It's all, we, anything in the, in the, I don't want to say community, anything in the diving industry that you can do, I have been trained to do. Um, but that we don't usually do it with Trimexes until you get to saturation diving. And so... Um, which is the next step up from being a unrestricted service supply? Because you can be a restricted service supply, and that doesn't get you down to 170 feet. It gets you like just shy of that or something. I, I have no idea what the where unrestricted or restricted is, but you can get a restricted, and then you can go for your unrestricted, and um, and then you can go for your saturation. So, <clears throat> um. Yeah, when, when I go down, I go down on just strictly air. And that's why you can use a compressor to give you unlimited air, right? Is It just filters right through and and you're good to go. That's so cool. cool. Um, uh, I have another question. Yeah, Sid, you go. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Perfect. For people that are interested in maybe becoming commercial divers or doing a job similar to yours, 
I was just wondering how many days a week do you work or like what does your work schedule kind of look like? So there's, it depends what industry you're in. Um, for mm-hmm. the fish farms, you were pretty much there. You had your set schedules. You were an employee. They, you know, they, they did what you, they got you, what you needed kind of thing. Um, except for s- specific pieces of equipment, um, such as your masks and stuff. Um, in Alberta, I am a subcontractor, so I choose, I pick and choose what I want to do, who I want to be with kind of thing. I work for right now. I'm, I'm with three different companies here and they call me up when they have work. And I just say, I, I always say yes. Cause like, I mean, I always want to dive, <laughs> but then some days you don't, right? There's just, there's other things that you have to do as well because you're, you're not just a diver. <clears throat> Excuse me. You don't go in as just a diver. You are the tender. You're the boat operator. You're the mechanic. You're the um, laborer. You're the, you do absolutely everything on the site. So you'll usually have more than one diver on the team and you just all you all make it work kind of thing there's it's it's very it's very personal it's very uh, I almost want to say it's intimate but it's not (laughs) it's these men have your lives you have their life in your hands and they have your life in their hands and you've really got to mesh and work well with everyone that you're with it's uh it that makes it very um it makes it a very family oriented, like very close kind of work situation, work uh, environment. Yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. That's, that's really incredible. So, so for you, it kind of is like a, a variable work week. It's not like, you know, nine to five Monday to Friday, but it can kind of, kind of look different day to day. And depending on like what job you're doing, whether you're being the tender, being the diver, like your days can look pretty variable, I I assume. Yes. Yes, it can. Yes, it is very variable. Um, The season two uh, right now, usually you don't have work from December till about February. Uh, Obviously, there's those 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 extra circumstances where they do call you in. Um, But like I worked till beginning of December this last year, and that was that was out of the ordinary for me. Um, and so like, I mean, it's, it's really an on-call kind of job for the most part when you, yeah, you're, you go by the economy for the most part, I guess I should keep, I keep saying that, but then there's also offshore and that's very, that's a lot even more, um, stringent in, in what day and times that you work as well, because obviously they're flying you out. Um, whereas, you know, being on the fish farm, it is very a normal day job, but still with the economy, if, if there's not enough, if there's, you know, if it's not enough work, you get laid off. So it's, uh, yeah, there's ups and downs, just like every, every industry for sure. Yeah. That's really cool. I, I know someone who was an offshore bell diver. This is a different person. Um, but he was talking about how they'd do like, you know, during, well, I mean, they'd go work for like a month and then they'd be off for like a month or two or something like that. And so it was, you know, very on and off. But when they were out on these uh, platforms and things like that, going to do their, their diving, they would have the tender, they'd go down for like an eight hour shift and the tender would tend for four hours while they dove for four hours and then they'd switch and they'd, the other one would tend and the other one would dive. And then they'd be brought back up to the recompression chamber that they were living in because at that point you have to decompress for like, you know, over 24 hours or something before you're allowed to do anything again. And then they'd go back down. He said, yeah, we wouldn't see sunlight for like a month. And I I decided then and there that (laughs) that offshore lifestyle was not for me, but it's a super fascinating, like different kind of, you know, I guess day-to-day lifestyle in in that same kind of like surface supply diving arena. Actually. Yeah. That is my next step. That's my next goal is to do saturation diving. I want to go as deep as humanly possible is my goal. And, uh, I just, I have to wait till my kids are older (laughs) because I can't be away for a month or two at a time. Um, so 
at this point, but that's, um, that's definitely my goal. I'm excited. When you talk about it, it just makes me excited. That's awesome. <laughs> that's so cool. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to have you back on when you become a saturation diver and you'll have to tell us all about it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. That'd be exciting. <laughs> Would you tell us what your favorite part of your job is what is the best thing about being a surface supply diver the best part is getting into the water and that the absolute like the disconnection from the land world like that disconnection and knowing that you're knowing and unknowing where you're going that's the best part i love that that's 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 so beautiful. And I think that is something that a lot of us in these various dive related fields can relate to. It's just that that uh mental shutdown of getting in the water. You have a one track mind, things become so much clearer that on the surface can be so confusing. Um and yeah, it's it's beautiful. I love that. Even in even in a field that's not like biology related even in something that's you know working with your hands and doing something totally different than what I do it's so cool that uh, that kind of sentiment follows through yeah definitely um what is something that you wish more people understood about your field and your job that I'm not a scuba diver (laughs) the first thing (laughs) when I say I'm a surface supply diver they say Oh, so you you put your tank on and you put your rag in your mouth and your fins on and you go splashing around and it's like I always have to explain exactly what I do because I and I know it's it's everyone thinks that's because it's it's the public thing to do is go scuba diving, um, but that's that's one thing that yeah where I where they think that I go and look at pretty things and I don't. <laughs> I don't, I don't get to see those pretty things most of the time. So, but that's, that's what I would, yeah. That is, that is a good one. I like that answer. Yeah. I wasn't really sure what, like how you were going to answer that one. I was like, I don't know that I even can think of any, but that's, that's a really good answer. (laughs) You, you mentioned earlier, you said like, you know, these guys, like your, your life is in these guys' hands and these guys are have their lives in your hands as well and i was curious like is this something did you mean guys like like all men like is this a very male dominated industry or do you feel like there's like a lot of women in the field as well like just trying to kind of get a lay of the land in this for some reason in my head uh something with so much heavy gear and things like that uh tends to be a male industry or male dominated industry and like all the people I know who have ever done something like this are men so it's like what is your experience with that it's definitely mostly male dominated I was the only woman in my class to do the course and I believe there was only one woman in the course before me as well there's usually one maybe two uh when they did an occupational scuba course that was kind of riding alongside with us there was about three women. There's more women in the occupational scuba courses than there are in the surface supply courses, for sure. Uh, I know that in the dive magazine here in Canada, while I was in school, they did do a whole article about an all-woman crew in Ontario. And so that was amazing to see all five women did everything. And it was, yeah, it was very, it was very, it was very empowering to see that. Um, But I've, I've always been like, throughout my entire life kind of a the only only woman in something like I was the only girl on my football team I was the only girl on my rugby team I was the only girl going through all of my electrical courses I had one journey woman that I was ever with in electrical like it's just always been it's always been me (laughs) um and here in Alberta I was actually a one of the you know I was a one of in working with one of the crews they're like yeah this is the first time we've ever worked with a woman and uh like I mean I've had the question you know how do you feel working with all these men and it's like well you're men so what <laughs> it's, this is our lives like this is we're all the same species I don't 
I don't care. <laughs> so, um, but I've, I'm, I'm a very masculine, I have a very masculine energy about me as well. So that makes it very easy for me to be in these types of fields. It's amazing to see women get into this more and more. And I look forward to meeting more of them. It's so inspirational and so amazing what you're doing. And I feel like you're kind of paving the way for more women to get into this field. And hopefully after listening to you talk um, on To Dive For, we'll inspire some people to take up this job. And also amazing that you like did all this, your scuba certification and then your surface supply diving in what, two or three years, like just mind blown. Amazing. Absolutely. Have you, do you ever like fun scuba dive? Like, have you ever like been on a Caribbean scuba vacation? (laughs) No, I haven't. What? You got to come down to Florida. Come hang out with me. (laughs) I know I would, I, I would love to, uh, though I feel like I'm, I'm so used to the cold water. (laughs) I'm a little scared to come down there and like get heat stroke. (laughs) with scuba diving uh, or with diving down there in any ways but no my plan is to come down there sometime uh i do love i do love the east coast just just north of you guys is some of my favorite spots and um i know my husband has always said that he wants to he's a pilot so he goes up and i go down and we meet in the middle and he's always like every so often he's like maybe i should try and because <laughs> he he always tries to get me to fly a plane and uh <clears throat> I'm like, no, I don't like planes. I'm, I'm actually getting my helicopter pilot license. Um, like you can, you can keep the planes and, um, and, uh, yeah, we'll just meet on land <laughs> when we're done doing what we do. So you get it, man. That is so cool. <laughs> you are so cool. You're my new, you're my new idol. <laughs> I want to be <laughs> like you when I grow up. <laughs> yeah. No, like I, I have four girls, so I need them to know they can do I promised myself, um, because I came out of so much poverty, like really deep, low poverty. Um, I promised myself that I would give my kids the world and, uh, and I have, and, and I can't give them a world without giving them an example of it. And so that's why I just, I reach for everything out and extraordinary so they can see the possibilities of opportunities that they have. And everyone is entitled to that. And, and like to get that out there, I love talking about this and I love talking about all the cool things that are out there in the world to do because we just need way more of that. Yeah. That's like, you got me all misty eyed. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, Sydney, would you like to round us out? We, at the end of our podcast, after asking all the, the, you know, what's the hardest thing about your field and things like that. We like to end it on a light note and talk about some silly questions, some fun questions. Um, So Sydney, if you'd like, you can jump into that. Okay. What is your best dive, snorkel, water-related story? It can be from work, from fun. Tell us everything. My best dive. I was trying to think of my best one. Uh, it sounds really bad, but my best dive was literally, oh, no, I've got a good one. I've got quite a few. Like, I mean, <laughs> there's always so many good stories, right? Um, yeah. But I, we were doing training, and um, it was basically, it was basically um, live boarding or whatever they call it, where the boat goes and you walk behind it kind of thing. And uh, you get a half an hour in the water and they slowly and you just were we're in this little kind of we're just on the outside of this um, inlet, just on on one of the little islands out there by Vancouver Island. And they drop you down to about 50 feet and you're walking. I'm basically walking along this edge and you can just see straight down. You can't really see because it's black, but you know that there's nothing there for lots like it's deep they go 300 feet deep out there and I'm walking along this cliff edge underwater and there's just beautiful coral and these rocks and there's this massive boulder in front of me and I just walk up and I jump over it and I just slowly up and slowly down the other side 
and I just keep walking along this cliff edge and then I come to this sheer flat wall basically and I'm like okay how am I going to get across this and I start going and I'm just holding on because you know you're just floating there and you're holding along and I feel myself kind of going backwards but I'm like oh wait I'm I'm in water so I'm like pushing at the water to put myself back on the wall and I just keep going along this space and and then you're stepping on the bottom and I know you're not supposed to touch the coral, but you're walking on the bottom. So things break. And then I look behind me and there's this school of fish just eating and they're like staring at me, waiting for me to move to make more food for them. And it was just the funnest thing I've ever done is to, you just think about astronauts. That's basically what you are under there is you're just, you're jumping over these boulders, like you're weightless and you've got these cute little fans of fish that are following you around. And you can walk along the cliff's edge without fear of falling basically and it's that's my funnest dive is is that specifically going rock climbing under the water <laughs> that was my that's first thought so was sick. this sounds like a moonwalk in outer space so cool man combining a love of rock climbing and scuba diving like, this is a, a new hot take. Yes. Um. Okay, what is one weird or unique, interesting fact about yourself? It's like when you when you go to the first day of school and they're like, tell us your name, where you're from, and a fun fact about yourself. Yeah, I know. Immediately I'm like, <laughs> I'm not fun, so I don't, <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> it's funny because that fact is, is that I'm a surface supply diver yeah. that's the fact that i always yeah. give out to people what's the funnest thing about you oh i you know i surface supply dive i when i met my husband he he would always say to me uh i know you're married to your work but maybe one day you can marry me oh <laughs> that's really cute i love that yeah well that's fair though that your your fun fact is that you're a surface supply diver. I think it counts. I think it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> I do, well, I do a lot of other things too. Like I have a sports equipment business as well. Uh, we had a store that we opened. Um, I also do luxury travel advisor. So I plan trips, like very luxurious trips for people. I do a lot of, I do a lot. I, I never stop learning. Knowledge is key to life. And uh, it just... I just love it. So, like I said, I'm also getting my helicopter license. Like that's just I don't I don't like to stop. So <laughs> Yeah. There you go. Wow. So many fun facts. Right? All at once. <laughs> I know. Okay. At the start of our episode, we asked you what brings you to the water. So, to end our episode, what keeps you coming back to the water? I want to say curiosity, but it's just that the pressure, the feeling of being under pressure in the water is an amazing feeling. You just, it's, it's healing. It's satisfying. It's a challenge. It, it, it really challenges your body, but it does so much positive things being under the water that you just, you always want to be back. Like I always want to be back under there. Definitely. That's awesome. I think that's a that's a new answer for us. I like that one. I know. Yeah. Under pressure. Cool. <laughs> Under pressure. Boo, doo, 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 doo. That went too bad too. <laughs> I know. Well, thank you so much, Lenny, for coming on the podcast. This has been an awesome interview and we're super excited to uh share it. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it and I'm I'm, I really hope that I can come down and see you guys in person at some point and do some dives down there. That'd be great. Yes. Yes, so absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to head on over to our website where you can find information on submitting your great stories for our Fishtails episodes. Those will come out about once a month and you can find the form to submit your stories online. Our website is under titleteasapparel.com. There's a little header at the top that says to dive for a podcast. And if you hit that link, we also have merch for sale. And you can also find us on Instagram at to dive for podcast and on Facebook as well. It's fish fact time. 
So today our fact is about sea angels. These are ancient gastropods related to slugs and snails, and they are a collection of sea slugs whose foot has evolved to splay out like wings, hence the name sea angels. They've also been found in fossils that date back as far as 400 million years. Thanks for listening!